in what we're going to look at from God's Word. So please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, and we'll be looking at the last passage um, in chapter 22. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, uh, I'd like to read to you, starting in verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is it that he is son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. God, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask for clarity. We ask for impact. Um, God, our hearts can become cold. Our hearts can become deceived. Our hearts can become uh, those that wander away from your own. And so I ask that you do your work now through your Spirit's work in us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you've been with us the last few weeks, uh, you, you know where we have gone. Uh, we are in the last week of Jesus' life, His earthly ministry. Uh, we realize that as we, uh, as we walk, uh, it's a roller coaster ride with Jesus. It goes from this triumphal entry, this amazing time where everyone's shouting Hosanna and excited to see Jesus, uh, to moving to the temple and where Jesus uh, cleansed the temple. He chased all the, the, the people who were doing business in there and treating it uh, just as a business, a money-making scheme. And he, he chased them all out, and it was a big, amazing thing. And then he shared a little bit about uh, what he thought of the religious leaders of that day. And then the last portion, we have three questions that come, one right after the other. They come in waves seeking to discredit Jesus, to entrap him with his words. They first came with a, a question about paying taxes to Caesar and whether they would acknowledge the power of Caesar over them. And then they brought uh, this theological question of the resurrection, not that they would believe it, but who, you know, if someone was married a bunch of times, who would they be married to and who would be a husband and wife in the resurrection. And the last question, uh, maybe the, the grand question, is what's the greatest commandment? What, what is the thing that's most important out of all the commands? What is the greatest commandment? And now, directly following that, in the presence of the Pharisees, Jesus asks his own question. And this question is the question to end all questioning. Uh, Jesus is going to put it to rest. This is going to uh, uh, signal a change in tactics or a, a change in plan for how they're going to 
get rid of Jesus. So we see, uh, as I read to you, we starting in verse 41, Jesus asking his own question. In verse 41, uh, you, you see that those Pharisees are gathered. They'd already asked their question. Really, they'd asked the first question through their disciples and the Herodians. And then they went away, and then the Sadducees came, and they asked their question. And then the Pharisees came back with their one uh, lawyer representa- representation. Uh, they asked their question, and it is after following that question that Jesus now asks them a question. And he asked the question, what do you think about the Christ? What an odd question for us as believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus is uttering, what do you think about the Christ? And you want to say, Jesus, that's kind of a weird way to ask the question. Why don't you say, what do you think about me? But I don't believe that's what he's getting at. I I believe what he's getting at is, what do you know about Christ? What do you know about uh, who he is to be? As he uses the word Christ, uh, Christ was the the Greek word, the, the one they were using presently, for the Jewish Messiah of the Old Testament. Same thing, Messiah, Christ. Just different word, same, same identity. And as we consider the Messiah, you, you have to go back to uh, what they would have known and thought of the Messiah that was to come. Messiah means anointed one, anointed one. And, uh, you, you know, you, when you think of anointed, you think of pictures of the anointing of oil but it's not just the this blessing it's the idea of identifying this is the one the one special one but it wasn't just the special one it was as you look at all the bits and pieces of prophecy and how they would look it was the special king it was the special king the anointed king This Messiah was going to be the anointed king. But it wasn't just the the anointed king or the next king. Uh, When you think of a, a next king, when you think of a future leader, and this is how they thought of this, they 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 found great hope in that. They they found great hope in the next king that was to come. I want to tell you uh, that may or may not be a hopeful thing, right? Even as we look in our country. uh, Anybody excited about the future? I'm not. Uh, Only if, uh, you know, the idea of it bringing closer, bringing us closer to the time the Lord would return. And so the next king isn't necessarily a good king, the, the, the anointed one, the one that is to come, but at least it's different, right? But as Jesus, sorry, I said it too early, as the Christ, the Messiah, was described in the Old Testament, he was described not just as an anointed king, but a good and saving king. A, a king that was going to be different from the present ones. That was going to bring about this, this newness of life and a goodness of times. He was going to be the one that was going to save them from their present predicament. 
So as Jesus asks about the Christ, he's asking, what do you know? What, what do you understand about the Christ? The Savior, Christ the King. It's a wide open question. It could have said a lot of different things. This first question uh, was a very broad, what do you know? But it quickly goes from this broad, what are the details do you know, to a very specific question. What's his family? Where does he come from? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Whose son is he? It goes from all these details that they could have had. There, there could have been so many different answers of all. You know, if I asked you a question like that, what do you know about the history of the United States? A lot of different answers, right? You could, you could start saying, well, let's start here, this, this battle, that, this battle, the, the history. I know a lot about history, and so you just start putting out details. But he quickly goes from what do you know about Christ, which the Pharisees would have known. They would have known about the Messiah that was to come. In fact, uh, some of them were this higher learned lawyer types in their midst. They would have known a lot. They would have been, aha, we know a lot about this. But he quickly follows it up from here to here. Whose family is he? Whose son is he? And as we've seen before in the book of Matthew, the issue of whose family Jesus is from, who's his father, what lineage he has, is critical for their understanding of who Jesus truly is. So Jesus asked this wide open question, and the Jews knew the answer. I don't know how quickly they answered, but I assume it was very quickly. You know why I assume that? Because they were self-righteous. You ever been around people that think they're really smart? And you ask them a difficult question. And they're so excited. Because I got the answer. I know it. I'm right. And that's what the Pharisees were. And so as I picture this, they quickly answered. What was their quick answer? The son of David. Son of David. And they were right. They were right. The son of David. If you could uh, kind of uh, encapsulate their answer, they were looking at the great David. The great David. Uh, there was a special spot in the heart of a, a Jew when they thought of David, King David. And they both saw him as great in his time, but also his lineage being great. Knowing that the Messiah, the Christ, would come from David. And all the glories of uh, uh, their kingdom line and uh, all the history involved, and they would smile as they would say, the son of David. But it's not just that it was great David's son. It's that it was great David's greater son. Great David's greater son. That Jesus, I'm sorry, I said it again. 
that this Christ, Messiah, was to be David, great David's greater son. You could look over to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12, 13, and then 16, and it says this. When your days are fulfilled, and it is a prophecy of Nathan, when your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers, speaking to David. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your, your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Skipping down to verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Uh, This is what they were waiting for, this forever kingdom that would come through the line of David. That this Savior, this, this one special Messiah, this one anointed King would come through the line of David. And, and as they said, He's from the line of David. This is what they were thinking back to. He will be this anointed one. You could also flip over to many passages, but in Psalm 89, verses 28 and 29, this is a Psalm of David. Um, and it, it says this, My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. And my covenant, God speaking, my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. And the psalm goes on to speak more of this idea that this new kingdom, this new throne, that this would be a forever, this would be the last one, this would be the one that would be, uh, that you could trust in forever. It was exciting to think about. And for them, they quickly connected this Christ, Old Testament Messiah, throne of David, the line of David. Correct. They were correct. Which when you're around self-righteous people and you tell them they're right, they like it. Okay? Correct. They were quick. You were a quick thinker. You got the right answer and you got it quickly. It's undisputable that in their mind there wasn't, as they considered what the, the Christ would be, it was undisputable uh, that he was going to be from the line of David. In their mind, uh, any challenge to that would, would have been uh, heresy. It wouldn't have been a good teaching. It was wrong. But I want to say this, but incomplete, incomplete. You know what they viewed David as? A great man, a great man. You know what uh, the, the lineage was filled with from that point until then? Men, men, just people, just people. It's interesting, uh, even in a culture that would view a king as a god. How do people talk about people in authority when they're by themselves, when they're with their family? How do people talk about the president of the United States in the privacy of their own home? How, how do they talk about uh, governors and senators? And how, how do they talk about them? And they, well, he's just a man. How do they talk about pastors? You know, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Ignorance is bliss. 
is bliss. You, you get this picture that, that even in our hearts where we see someone as great, we just go, they're just a man. And for them to connect this Christ, this one that is to come, even though part of God's plan, even as part of uh, even David being this great man, a man, a man. So their answer was correct but incomplete, quick and undisputable. Jesus brings logic and conclusion and he answers his own question. He uh, gave them a question to entrap themselves and they did. In verse 43, we find this logical conclusion. And Jesus, he said to them, verse 43, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put my enemies under your feet. He uses, uh, he, well, let me just say this first. He quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, which to them was an important uh, messianic psalm. It was a psalm talking about the Messiah. So for them at that point, they knew that this psalm was talking about the Christ that was to come. The anointed king that was going to be the one that was going to save forever, forever. And Jesus quotes for them from Psalm 110, verse 1. They knew in their mind they would go, oh, who wrote Psalm 110? Who was the earthly writer? It was David. It was David. So David's writing about the Messiah. But not just that David was writing about it. They knew that Psalm 110, the rest of the Old Testament, was inspired by God. That it wasn't David that was the writer. I mean, he was the writer, but that the way they had gotten this was it was a message from God, a message from God. It was accurate and pure. It was right. So Jesus quoted from Psalm 110, verse 1. There's two words um, for Lord. uh, and, And as we have looked at Messiah and Christ, this would be similar. New Testament, Old Testament, okay? In the New Testament, the word Lord, kurios, kurios. It's, it's different versions of that and different uh, uses, usage in the New Testament. But that word kurios. And in the Old Testament, the, the um, synonym, if you will, would be Adonai. Adonai. As we look at that, we see that word is the common word for God or deity. It's that that he is the Lord. He is the Lord. Not just Lord as in one of respect, but the Lord over all. The one that's God. So this is where, I, I hope this isn't, you're keeping score with me, okay? I hope you're tracking. So as we look at this passage, we see this. David was writing the inspired word of God. God was inspiring David to write. Jesus quotes from Psalm 110. 
he quotes the first verse, which says, how is it then David in the spirit, meaning uh, the idea of David uh, in that point in time where he's writing, he was prompted by the spirit of God. Why does he say, verse 44, the Lord said to my Lord, that first Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. And you get this separation. You get this separation. And, and we worship a triune God. Three distinct persons. And we see two of them there. Possibly three if you count the, uh, the, the spirit prior to that. I, I think that he's referring to that as well. And, and, and so this idea is this. Yahweh speaks of the Lord. The Lord. The one, the Adonai, the Kyrios of the New Testament. And, and he looks at this and he says, they're speaking to one another and about one another. Yahweh says to David's Lord, say it this way, Yahweh says to David's Lord Adonai, he says this, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. This idea of sitting at the right hand is a place of co-equal. You are with me. You're with me at my right hand, the special spot. And, and the Father says, sit right here as my co-equal until I put, until I put your enemies at your feet. You get this amazing picture of the Father and the Son in their uh, unity, but also in their uh, separation of, not separation of, a purpose or anything else, but that they're distinct, they're distinct person. And, and Yahweh speaks of the Lord, this anointed one, this anointed king. But Jesus asks the question, why would David write this? Why would David say this? Why would the great David speak of the son the son look at it uh, if you have your bibles open still if you, if you closed them we're not done yet open them back up again okay the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand until i put your enemies under your feet this is that quote from from david speaking uh under the inspiration of God about the Father speaking to the Son about this coming together, this co-equal. And then he says this. He, he brings it together down in verse 45. If then David calls him Lord, how is it he is his son? Are you following? So David is writing about the father's plan for the son as being co-equal and the enemies being put under his feet in that position of king. And, and David is referring to his own line, the offspring that he will have, the, the future plan for this anointed one. And he says this. He says this. He says, my Lord. This is my Lord. He's my son. So we come to this conclusion that great David, 
the one who is great David, amazing King David, has a greater son, has a greater son. And it's this anointed one that is to come. Well, uh, there's no more details given about this interaction. But I just want to tell you this one thing. And, and Book of Matthew has gone, take, taken great pains to point it out over and over again. Uh, what was the line of Christ? Where was he? What, what was his family? Who, whose son was he? The one thing they knew about him, the one thing that was indisputable because of his birth, right? Where was he going? Back to Bethlehem. He was going there because it, it, it all tied back to him knowing that, or this family knowing, and then everyone knowing that from that point on, that he was from the line of David. So as Jesus asks about the Christ, they saw him as just a man. But as Jesus was just a man before them in their eyes, he reminds them that he's from the line of David. And all those dots came together. All the picture was placed that they were dumbfounded. It was game over. For you here this morning, maybe you're dumbfounded. Maybe you go, boy, this is a lot of stuff, and this is a lot of plan of God, and this is a lot of, uh, it, it's kind of coming together. How could all this be true? And uh, it is true. Yeah, the, the, you know, the human line of coming from the line of David, and yet all that Jesus was, the, the Father's plan and the Son. And I want to tell you, it all comes together in this, that He is the King Savior, the anointed King Savior. He is the Messiah of the Old Testament, which we refer to as Christ. That the man Jesus is Jesus Christ, the Savior, the King over all. As we look at that this morning, there's some implications there. When you are in a, um, a disagreement where people are giving you bits and pieces of facts and data, and you, you come and you're looking at all the pieces and and, and finally, you have that aha moment where you go, this is true. You have two options. You have two options. Either embrace the truth or walk away. As the guys led us in singing, some of the songs had uh, things of eternity. Uh, this has implications for your eternity. If Jesus is the one that came through the line of David, but not just through the line of David, as Lord, as Lord over all, the anointed king. If that's true, then, then that has implications of your life. I know that there's a, a sense of sentimentality to saying you believe in God and that you, uh, you love God the idea of history and you grew up in the church, but the question is not whether that warms your heart. Is, it, he, is he the one for you? The Savior, the King, the Anointed One. It says in God's Word um, in verse 46, and this is a huge transition. It says, And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. It was game over. 
game over. They had asked their questions, and he asked a couple, really one question, who is Jesus? And that's where we leave this morning. I, I want to give us three questions this morning for our tie-up time, for you to process through uh, this passage that we've looked at this morning. And the first one is this, who is the Messiah? Who is the Messiah? What do you know about him? Who is the Messiah? Who is the Messiah? And if I could ask the question and then answer it, the Messiah is the Savior, Christ, King. The line of David over David. That's who he is. It's the Messiah. Second question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And, and I want to tell you, uh, this is a very important question. Very important question. Who is Jesus? The man of history. Who, who, what is his identification? What is his role? Who is Jesus? And I want to tell you, I asked the question, I'll give you the answer. He's the Christ. He's the Christ. Not just one that came and was a nice guy, had some good teachings, healed some people. He's the Christ. The anointed king of the Old Testament that they were waiting for. Third question. I've got no answer for you on this one. Who is your Savior? Who is your Savior? Who is your Savior? You see, uh, the question is, the question goes back, so, so who's your Savior? What are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? What, what is it that you're investing in? Or who is the one you're listening to? Who is the one that you value? Who is the one you're hoping in? Who is your Savior? It's left for you an answer, you to answer before the Lord himself. Please join with me in prayer. God, do your work in your church today. and. I pray uh, if there are any here wandering or wondering, God, I pray that that answer would be answered for them today. That they would realize that all the other saviors that they've tried have not worked. Not worthy to be followed. They're not the anointed one. They're not the king. They're not God. The one that they should listen to. God, Father God, do your work in us through your spirit that you would draw us to yourself. And then for those of us who have wandered, I, I pray that this message would now fix our hearts once again in the place where you should be. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. He's the Christ, the King, the Lord. God, help us to sort all this out. I ask that your spirit would mark us it would permanently mark us, not just in an emotional way, but in a way that would reorder our life for this week and the weeks to come. Thank you for your work in Jesus' name.